Most everyone knows that the number 666 is associated with evil. But most don't know what the number actually means and doesn't mean. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the book of Revelation for a closer look at this mystical number, its meaning, and its connection to the false prophet. Here's David with the conclusion of his message, The Beast from the Earth. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, welcome to a new week of broadcasting on Turning Point. You know, I just returned from the Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, and it's such a thrill to go there and meet so many people who listen to this program every day from all over the world. And um, obviously, you're one of them that listens because you're hearing me now, and I want to thank you for your uh, participation and response, obviously, teachings, uh, a noble art, but it's worthless if there are no listeners. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this great family of people who love the Word of God, and especially who love the prophetic Word of God. And uh, we're in the middle of, a little bit past the middle of a three-month series on the 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. And today, we are going to finish up what we started on Friday as we talk about one of the characters of the Apocalypse. Uh, and the Bible refers to him as the beast from the earth. We know him better as the false prophet. He's part of the unholy trinity of the book of Revelation, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. We'll get to the final uh, review of this character in just a moment. But first, let me tell you that during this three-month series, we are making available not only the book that you can get from Turning Point to our website, davidjeremiah.org. The book is called The Book of Signs. It's 460 pages. You can order that book there. And you can also get the three study guides that give you a survey of all of these prophetic subjects. And uh, we're in the concluding pages of Volume 2. Volume 3 begins in the month of May. The three of these study guides are really, really helpful uh, during the NRB and during a recent event in Branson, Missouri. These were very, very popular, and we want you to know that they're still available. You can get them from davidjeremiah.org. That's the simplest way. Of course, we still accept phone calls and letters and all of that. But if you want to get to the real meat of it and the beginning of it and do it quickly, go to the website and you can order from there. Well, let's find out what's still left to learn about the false prophet, the beast from the earth. Notice how powerful this person will be in verses 13 through 15. He performs great signs in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. The power of this false prophet won't be his own power. The Bible says he gets it from the Antichrist. Where does the Antichrist get his power? He gets it from Satan. So this is just a connection between Satan to the Antichrist and from the Antichrist to the false prophet. It says here that he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. In other words, he's given power to do this by the Antichrist. And the power of the Antichrist, the power of the false prophet originates with the dragon, with Satan. If you don't think he's going to have power to do great signs, listen to the words of Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Jesus said he will be so deceptive, 
he will be so good at what he does in his deceptive work that the Christians who are alive then would be deceived if God didn't protect them. Even the elect might be deceived. Now, John tells us in this little text we have in front of us three ways he goes about this deception. First of all, the Bible says he calls down fire from heaven. Notice verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Remember now, he's a counterfeiter. He's a mimic. All he does is try to do what God does. How many of you know that on occasions God used fire? When Sodom and Gomorrah were judged, the Bible says they were consumed by fire from heaven. There were a couple of people in the Old Testament named Nadab and Abihu, and they were careless in the offerings of the temple and the tabernacle, and they were consumed by fire from God. So here is the Antichrist. He wants everybody to think he's the God. He's got to come up with a fire thing. And so it's interesting that there's much more to his deception than meets the eye. Let me just explain to you what I mean. If you read through the Old Testament, you come to the last book of the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. When you finish Malachi, the Old Testament is done, and there's 400 years that pass before the New Testament starts. Just before the end of the book of Malachi, Malachi the prophet says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In other words, Malachi said before the Lord comes, he's going to send somebody in the way of Elijah as a forerunner. Elijah's going to be kind of like the John the Baptist of the second coming of Christ. Now, listen to me carefully. Hundreds of years before Malachi wrote his prophecy, Elijah called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. He did it in front of the 450 prophets of Baal, and that fire consumed the water-soaked sacrifice as a testimony to the power of Elijah's God. Do you remember that story? Listen carefully. Elijah is the only Old Testament prophet to call down fire from heaven. The only one. And God said he was going to send another Elijah before the coming of the Messiah. So the false prophet will try to convince everybody that he is Elijah because he calls down fire, as Malachi said the coming of Elijah would be. It is a deceitful attempt to give an air of legitimacy to his presence. Men and women, i got to tell you, as I study this book over and over again for all these years, one of the things that just overwhelms me is the incredible illustration and power of deceit. And I'm reminded that even in our culture today, that's the one thing that we are most vulnerable to, How easy it is for us to be deceived. Nothing seems real. Everything is sort of outside the pale of reality. And even in our churches and in our walk with the Lord, if we're not careful, we deceive ourselves. Over and over again in Scripture, it tells us to look out for ourselves, let we not be deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If there's one lesson we take from this part of the book of Revelation is this. Satan has three things that he does. He deceives, he divides, and he destroys. And his number one tool, his entry into the life of a person tool, is the tool of deceit. And when you see Satan at his pinnacle in the tribulation period, what you see is the deceiver at his best even calling forth an Old Testament story like the word of Malachi to try to deceive the people in the tribulation period.
He calls down fire from heaven. And then second, the Bible tells us that he commands that an image be built. Verse 14 says this, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by these signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Once again, the image of the beast marks the final stage of apostasy and idolatry that has always characterized false religion. Stop for a moment and try to imagine with me this moment. If you've been to Israel or if you've read Israel's story in the Bible or you've read books about the tabernacle and the temple, you've heard me preach, especially from the book of Revelation, you know that in the temple, the most sacred place in all of the temple was the Holy of Holies. The picture is that people could come to the outer court Sometimes they could come to the inner court for sacrifices, but only once a year was the high priest of Israel allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for the people. And it was such a holy place that they put bells on the robe of the high priest so they could hear him when he was walking in there to make sure he was still alive. They tied a rope around his waist in case he did something wrong in there and he was immediately stricken and they could pull his body out from having to go in and get him. The Holy of Holies was the most sacred place on the earth for followers of the true God. And on this particular day, Satan's Antichrist and false prophet have an idol established in the Holy of Holies and require the people of Israel and all those who gather on that day to fall down before that idol and worship him. The image of the beast is evidently what the Lord Jesus meant when he said this in his Sermon on the Mount. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's what this is. When the statue is put in the Holy of Holies, that's the abomination of desolation. Notice what Jesus said. When you see that, spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Have you ever heard the statement, the cup of iniquity is full? (laughs) This is the moment when the cup of iniquity of this whole world is full. I don't want to put Jesus or God into a vernacular of the contemporary. But I have to tell you, I think I hear God say, that's it. I've had enough. And at that moment, all hell breaks loose on this earth as the second half of the tribulation begins to unfold. Paul wrote about this to the Thessalonians in his letter. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. There's that word deceive again. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Could you ever blaspheme God in any more evil? I'm trying to help you understand what's going on in this moment. The devil himself has tried to take over the place that belonged only to God. And you remember, this has always been his desire. 
when he was kicked out of heaven and when Jesus was on this earth, remember he took him up to a mountain and he showed him the whole area and he said, Lord, Jesus, if you'll bow down before me and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Satan's great desire was to take the place of God and be worshiped. And finally, he requires it by this terrible act of blasphemy and desecration. And then, thirdly, he not only commands the image to be built, but he causes it to speak. It says in verse 15, And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And you can argue about what this is all you want to. All I can tell you is it seems to me that this is nothing more nor less than demonic possession. I don't know of any other place in the Bible where an inanimate object is filled with Satan, but here it appears to be that the devil fills this beast and allows this beast to counterfeit the miracles of God. Then notice number four, his program. And this is something with which most of us are somewhat familiar The false prophet causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. The false prophet is going to wear two hats during the tribulation. He'll be the religious leader and the financial czar. He's the one who will actually put into process the numbering. Everybody wants to know what the mark of the beast is. (laughs) I thought this week about it a lot. I don't know what it is other than what the scripture says. And I wonder if by the time that happens, the only place on the human body where it could be put that is, doesn't have a tattoo on it will be on the forehead. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I know if you know, I've just noticed over my lifetime, a lot more tattoos going on than I ever saw before. Well, this won't be a tattoo, but the Bible says there's going to be a mark. And notice what it says that without this mark, no one will be able to buy or sell. No one will be exempt from this. Whether you're a CEO or a hired hand, no one will be able to function without this mark or this license or this insignia. No one will be able to shop at the mall. No one will be able to eat at a restaurant. No one will be able to fill up at a gas station or pay utility bills or buy groceries or get prescriptions filled or pay to get the lawn mowed or pay the mortgage without the mark. It's the tribulation trademark, and without it, you won't be able to function. So what will happen is people will go bankrupt, and they'll starve. If they don't take the mark of the beast, they will not be able to function. And somebody says, well, what does the mark look like, and what does it mean? Well, look with me again at verse 18, where we get a bit of a clue. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, the number is 666. Now that's the number you call the phone company and tell them you don't want in your phone number. Could you please change my phone number? Or you call the DMV and say, you put this on my license plate, I want to turn it in for a new one. Nobody wants 66. We don't even know for sure what it means, many of us. We just know it's not something good. Well, what is it? What is significant about 666? Oh, I'll tell you what, if you read the literature that I read on this, it would just amuse you so much. I've read so many. If you want somebody to be the Antichrist, you can make it happen. (laughs) Here's what you do. You give every letter in the alphabet a numerical value, and then you start adding up their letters, and if you add them right, you can get to 666. If it doesn't work the first time, include his middle name. 
If it still doesn't work but it's close, give him a doctor's degree. And keep working on it until if you want to, you can make anybody the Antichrist. And you've probably heard all the stories about Hitler and uh, John F. Kennedy who was shot in the war. And you've heard them all. But the bottom line is, folks, we don't know who the Antichrist is and we don't know what this is except what the Word of God tells us. It says it is the number of a man. Think with me about that for a moment because here is the conclusion of this message. The number of a man. Man was created on the sixth day. They are to work six days, not seven. You couldn't be a Hebrew slave for more than six years. Six is the number of a man. Now, God's number, on the other hand, is seven. He created seven days in a week. There are seven colors in the visible spectrum. There are seven notes on the musical scale. There are seven feasts of Jehovah, seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, seven secrets in the kingdom parables. At the fall of Jericho, seven priests marched in front of the army bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns. On the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. That's all good, but what about the book of Revelation? Well, that's where it really becomes interesting. Remember, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says at the top of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So listen to me. In the book of Revelation, the number seven is used more than 50 times to describe things that are going on in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to read them all to you, but I'm going to read a bunch of them to you. Listen to this. There are seven churches, seven spirits, seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings, seven beatitudes, seven years of judgment, seven letters to the seven churches, seven I am statements of Christ, and seven songs in heaven. And that's just some of them. Seven is God's number. Seven is the number of completeness. We have seven days in the week. But six is the number of man. That's what the Bible says. It's the number of humanity and the number of incompleteness. And perhaps the meaning of 666 is that human beings, even to the triple, fall short of God's perfection. On our own, we are incomplete, and we long for fulfillment in the perfect completeness of God. Everyone is either a six or a seven. And I want to tell you right now, I'm going to take all doubt away. I'm a seven. And I'm not a seven because I'm any better than anybody else. I'm a seven because I have accepted God's gift of Christ's righteousness, and that's how I got to be a seven. If you try to get to heaven by being the best six you can, even if you triple it, it's going to fall short. Six is the number of incompleteness. Seven is the number of fulfillment. I want to tell you a story that will help you remember this. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a great illustrator of another generation, explains this in a story that he tells. He said the children of the great composer Bach found that the easiest method of awaking their father was to play a few lines of music and leave off the last note. <laughs> they said that the musician would get up immediately, go to the piano, and strike the final chord. 
Barnhouse said he tried it. He said, I got up early one morning and I went to the piano in our home and I played the well-known carol Silent Night and purposely stopped before playing the last note. And I walked out into the hallway to see what would happen. He said, my eight-year-old son had stopped reading his book and was trying to find the note on his harmonica. He said, another child was singing the last note lustily, as loud as he could. And an adult from upstairs called down, did you do that on purpose? What is the matter with you? You see, our very nature cries out for completeness, doesn't it? Our very nature wants a resolution. The Bible puts it this way, that we're created with eternity in our hearts. And until God is at home in our hearts, we're always feeling like there's something missing. Some of you here today, you're going through that right now. You're good people. You're good sixes. You might even be a triple six. (laughs) But a triple six is not enough. You have to come to Christ and get his righteousness and become a seven. Because if you don't become a seven, there's a little limerick you can keep. If I'm not a seven, I can't go to heaven. That's the truth. Only a seven gets into heaven. And you're never going to be a seven on your own. You say, well, I'm going to try to be my very best, and if I work really hard, maybe I can be 666 and a half. No good. The only thing that will get you into heaven is the perfect righteousness and completeness of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And the wonderful news, men and women, is this, that God had made it possible for all of us to go from being a six to being a seven by just putting our trust in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm going to give it my best shot. Listen to me. If the best that humanity could offer times three couldn't make it, neither can you nor can I. And the message that I want you to remember as you think about this lesson we've had is this, that God loves you and he's made a plan for you to measure up. In your own, you can't. In your own, you will fall short. And the Bible says, for all have sinned, and what's the rest of it? And fallen short of the glory of God. 666 has fallen short. But when you accept Jesus Christ, it's no longer about you. Now it's about him. I'm here to proclaim Jesus Christ is a seven. And he wants to give you what he has so that you can know God and go to heaven someday. That's why the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you trust in him, he will come and live within you and he will become for you what you can never become for yourself. You can either believe it or not believe it, but you can't deny it. And one day you'll stand before the Lord God and he will take account of who you are. And if you're still trying to be the best six you could ever be, so you think you can measure up because you're even better than a lot of people you know, the Lord God will look at you and if you're not a seven in his son, Jesus Christ, you will not get into heaven. Heaven is for a seven. And I hope that you'll put your trust in him today if you haven't done so already. And you can become a Christian today if you will. You'll never get there by trying. I mean, we've seen three of the most powerful people that ever walked on this earth trying to put it together and they fell short. But Almighty God loves you. Oh, I can't tell you how much he loves you. Do you think he would give his son to be your savior if he didn't love you a lot? And he wants you to know him. 
Well, this is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're learning of his love and of his holiness and of his unwillingness to let sin prevail. And um, we learn a lot about Jesus Christ from the book of Revelation. It's about him, as is the whole Bible. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the martyrs. In this lesson, we'll discover the fate of those who embrace Christ during the tribulation, who are martyred for their faith. You know, throughout history, there have been many who gave up their lives rather than deny their faith, and there will be many more during the seven-year tribulation. There will be many who will be killed because they are allegiant to Christ. And we'll find out about how that plays out in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, tomorrow, the martyrs here on Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. It's my privilege to be here every day with you and for you. And I trust that you're listening and learning as we look to the future. Be sure and join us tomorrow on this good station. Have a great day. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you share with us how Turning Point is helping you in your daily walk? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, David's new resource that reveals the meanings of numbers in Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with the gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. In spite of his great intellect and wisdom, Benjamin Franklin lived on the fence concerning his faith. He considered himself a Christian and a deist. A deist believes in a creator God who is letting the earth evolve on its own, a God who keeps his distance and doesn't interfere with human activity. 
But as a sign of Franklin's wavering convictions, he also wrote, The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. That is a biblical Christian point of view. To his credit, Franklin continued to consider reasons to revise his deist convictions. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover who God really is on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.